0: Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Scott Smith is a really nice chat about the media landscape and about parenting and during COVID and about living in Beverly. Uh, during COVID, lots of COVID talk because I don't know if you know, uh, coronavirus is ravaging the country, and that's why we have a Patreon account. You could donate to that Patreon account at youmethemeverybody.com. If you're listening to this on Spotify, that's wonderful. We don't get anything from that. Go to com. in the podcast description. You will find a link to our Patreon account. I like having Scott on the show. I think this is his fourth or fifth time over the course of 12 years being on the show. He is uh, one of a handful of guests that have been on the show that I knew before we had this show. So uh, I've known Scott a very, very long time, and I'm glad he's still in my orbit. I'm glad he's in your orbit. Here is the episode. I'll start this how I start most of these. Uh, How are you holding up? I think the
1: term that I have been using lately, and it's entirely possible I stole this from the Internet, uh, is pandemic fine. Um, I think, you know, fine is not adequate to describe the situation, but I'm healthy. My family's healthy. We are both gainfully employed still. um, Mm -hmm. So that covers 90% of the things you need in order to survive in this current situation. And I know a lot of other folks don't have those two things running in the background. So, that aside i think we are struggling with just the general nature of everything is different you have Mm -hmm. to relearn basic tasks Um, the context switching that goes on when you are working from home and you turn away from your laptop or your workspace area and then you are immediately a partner or maybe you're a parent or maybe your roommate. And that is, I think, the crazy making thing. That is the part that really, I think, wears down your mental capacities. Because if you're at work, you are still in that work mode, but maybe you turn away from your workspace and you've got five minutes that's kind of to yourself to let your brain wind down. You're just there maybe you're alone, but you're still sort of in that workplace context and you don't have to kind of switch into a completely new role. I think that's the part that's sort of mentally draining along with just sort of all of the rest of it.
0: Yeah. that's How are you? (laughs) I went from um, paternity to furloughed to laid off. So this has been like a, since December, like a very when when the pandemic started, it was sort of like, oh, everyone's just now on my speed. Like, I've been at this speed for a long time, right? And then now it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's not going to that speed. It's a completely different speed. It's a bad speed.
1: It is. It is a bad speed. It's I've been laid off before or otherwise separated from my job, but I don't think that there is a comparative to now. Like, having it happen now is, while there is certainly good company, it mm-hmm. is it comes along with a level of uncertainty that, that isn't, that is not typical. Um, yeah. And yet all of the things that you should do when you were laid off are still the things you, I think probably can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is, I think it, there's, I, I don't know if this is of any comfort to you, but I, I wonder if it's some salve to like go through this in a time when everyone else is going through this, do you, do you, is that of any consequence or or any comfort at
0: all? Yeah, it's the one time where it's okay to have a lapse of employment on a resume.
1: Right, right. Everybody's got that. That's that's your COVID. That's your COVID gap year or whatever it's going to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that doesn't yeah. necessarily. Well, it still doesn't feel great. That. No, it doesn't. Yeah, and also, it's it's one of these things where you used to be, I mean, do you still identify as a journalist or a writer or whatever?
1: I think I identify as a writer. I don't identify as a journalist because I'm very much on the other side of that. I mean, I'm the uh, communications officer for the Cook County assessor's office. And so I am, I'm a flack, right? I'm a PR person for a government office. And so Mm -hmm. I'm very much on the other side of things. I, I work with journalists and, And I have, as somebody who used to engage in acts of journalism, I have an enormous amount of respect for journalists and what they do, even more so right now in this moment and in this administration than ever before. But no, it's, even though I I do a lot of writing still and take an approach that's journalistic, Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't identify as a journalist, even though. I think some of those tools still get used oh, in my sure. work.
0: The reason I ask is because most everyone I know that's a journalist or somewhat media, let's just say media, there is that gap. There is that, I don't know, I'm not working here, or right. um, I've been laid off or I'm fired or whatever, but they usually are able to find a new place pretty quickly because there are those jobs. But now... Um, Though newspapers are being read more than ever and, and, and radio stations are uh, being listened to in podcast form. No one's advertising because of the pandemic, Well, not no one. I shouldn't say no one, but the the percentage that it's aren't adding up. So they're now just like, we're going to go with scabs pretty much. We're going to go with robots. We're going <laughs> to the, the, the opportunities just aren't there. And then the ones that are there, I think, are lies like um, everything that I'm qualified for. Is for like diversity or race writers or editors that they're looking for. I don't think those jobs are going to exist in two years.
1: Do you think that they will be that the coverage area won't will go away, or or just like they evolve yeah. into something else? else?
0: No, I, I okay. think it's the coverage area. I think it's a lot of uh, guilt that's forcing a lot of people's hands, and uh, they're not going to stick through what should have already existed.
1: Th- th- that's that's an interesting thought, and. You can see a lot of trends in the types of jobs that get offered in media. There was a sort of mini- trend of these. Um, I can't forget that the word escapes me, but it was this it was like instead of an internship, which had the term had kind of fallen out of favor, it was like fellowship.
0: You know, oh, like yeah, it yeah.
1: was like, oh, you're a fellow. Like you, please put this tweed jacket on mm-hmm. that we have acquired for you. And here's a pipe, and you can now write blog posts. Uh, you know, it's these different job trends happen and eventually the organizations realize, oh, this is just something we're supposed to be weaving into our coverage. Yep. We should be race conscious. We should be class conscious. We should be gender conscious in our coverage. And eventually it becomes just a better set of articles, a more uh, broad-based approach that appeals and uh, to people and people can see themselves more in it. So I think that's that's right like the, the construct of those jobs doesn't exist but hopefully we end up with a more deep intellectual approach to call it news media content etc.
0: Do you actually believe that or do you want to believe that because you want to have hope?
1: I I definitely want to believe it.
0: Yes. I I would I want to believe that too. I
1: I think that this is so I look at organizations that are startup in nature and they are very they become very specialized and they have more of a call it a brand approach. So for example, Block Club Chicago has very I, I would say there is a there's an emotional social component to what they do it is very much sort of understanding the need which i think is is a in some ways a emotion based the need that their audience has and the kind of content and the kind of news and journalism they do is very much in that utility framework because this is thinking through safety from a need standpoint it's thinking through resources from a need standpoint and it's approaching news in that way as opposed to something that's like oh this is a unique story that no one else could get it's really more about like what is the what do these communities need and they're often covering under-resourced communities as opposed to sort of a more legacy driven publication which is going to say okay we need to cover these particular areas. And we cover it in the way that uh, we have traditionally done, which is to follow certain personalities. So we're more likely to cover the director of something, something, or the chief executive of something, something. Mm-hmm. And the coverage that I think is ends up being more meaningful is something that hits people a little bit closer to home. So that's a very long way of saying, I think that It gets woven through the coverage, Uh, the idea that you see more of yourself or your neighbors or your communities in the coverage. I think we are seeing that. So I think that is uh, evidence of things seen, uh, not just faith. And that's why I see a lot more of the startup driven folks going in that direction. Even if you look at something like The Athletic, Mm -hmm. The athletics idea is that we're going to cover very specific sports, and we're going to cover it in a deeper way than legacy publications have been able to do. And we're going to cover it in a very city-focused way. And I think they're going for that depth of coverage that is seen in a, a startup environment. And obviously, when you look at these startup media organizations, it's always a question of, can you get enough audience to pay the bills, whatever way that is, whether it's advertising, subscription, um, the other models that are out there. Um, Can you get enough of the audience to pay the bills, but can you also provide enough coverage and content that's meaningful um, to keep people kind of coming back? And I think that's the, that's always the challenge with a, a startup environment.
0: How often do you think about this stuff? All the time. <laughs> but you're I not mean, technically you're not in it anymore. I mean, that you, you deal with these folks, but you're not on that side anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean like if to me it was all before it was a job, it was a hobby or if it was an mm-hmm. interest. And you know, it's funny, I was listening to a really great podcast it's called Land of the Giants. It's from Vox. And it's hosted by two people, one of whom was Peter Kafka. The other person is a woman who used to write for the Wall Street Journal, and her name escapes me right now. But they did this really deep multi-episode look at Netflix and what makes Netflix Netflix and how it came up and what its challenges are. And it was really fascinating, and it reminded me that Peter Kafka had this really great media podcast called Recode Media, which I used to subscribe to and listen the hell out of, but stopped because I had gotten like I was not on that media side of things, um, but it just reminded me that uh, actually I'm going to go check that out again. So mm-hmm. that's a it's a personal interest, but there is a sense of in order for me to do my job, there needs to be a vibrant media ecosystem in Chicago and Cook County and mm-hmm. the state, and so on. Some level it is in it's required of me to think through these things and to sort of watch the landscape of things. Um, There are certain publications that are really changing because of COVID. They have moved reporters off of certain government beats and onto a sort of like, what's the government beat, but COVID. And that's takes them out of covering certain stories. And in some ways it makes a lot of sense because that's the most important story right now. On the other hand, when you move, Beats and when you adjust beats, and you also have to deal with the thing that's mind boggling to me, which is the rhythms of life have changed so much. Yeah. But the rhythms of how a journalist covers the news changes. So, if there is, let's say in the before times, there was a meeting and it was at a specific place, and all of the people who are the government officials were all in that place, and you would go there, you would physically be there, you would have a tape recorder or some mm-hmm. kind of recording device. And you would get the quotes from those people, and you would put that into your article, and that's how you would cover a thing more often than not. You can't get to a place right now. It makes it more difficult to get access to the quote-unquote newsmakers. And so you have to have a different approach to how you cover that stuff. It's actually harder to cover that stuff than it was before. And so it means it's less likely that that information ends up in an article. And that's not the fault of journalists and it's not the fault of editors even. It's like the rhythms of things have completely changed. The work that I do has completely changed. Like the the easier stuff gets done and some of the harder longer term stuff is a, a much bigger challenge to do. And I think we're about six or so months, whatever it is, time has no meaning anymore, uh, into this and, and I'm just now getting back to Figuring out how to handle some of the more long term, more complex parts of my job because we figured out how to do the short and medium term stuff. We figured out how to make sure very early on that basic levels of service were uninterrupted in our office. And then we figured out how to do the kind of medium term things that need to be done. And now it's getting back to like the long term vision stuff, you know, as I sit in my basement and, you know, try to. Get the lighting right so i don't look like a ghost on a zoom meeting it's the rhythms of life have completely changed and it makes everything harder
0: so what makes i don't know if it makes it harder but you're you're part of a family you have a wife and you have a child and that's true uh your child is school-aged and I'm assuming she has been out of school for a very long time and as of like I think yesterday will not be going back indefinitely. Um, How's that going?
1: That honestly is difficult, but I, so a few years ago, I started really, maybe a few more like a year and a half to two, I guess I started really trying to get um, my sort of general anxiety and uh, tendency to react quickly kind of, you know, under a better control mm-hmm. um, just for my general mental health and and what have you. And boy, oh boy, that has come real in real handy uh, during all this time, because when you hear a piece of news or, or a piece of information, it is less about. Being reactive to that and thinking that's how it's going to be for a, you know, for a month from now, Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, ah, hmm, interesting. I'll note that piece of information that has just come into my uh, eyes or ears, Uh, but I'm not going to necessarily think that that's going to have long term implications because that information might change in a few Mm -hmm. days, in a few weeks, or a month. Um, I don't. I I don't know. Like, I honestly um, don't know what it's going to be like a month from now when uh, school restarts. It's You're in the mindset that it's online only, and you think, ah, I sort of know what that was like, because we kind of did that March, April, and May. Mm -hmm. Um, My daughter actually goes to private school, and so uh, she goes to a Catholic school. My wife is Catholic. She believes very deeply in the... Uh, idea of a catholic education i'm episcopalian which is like uh all the catholicism with none of the guilt Mm uh but the idea that she will be having in-person school um, is the plan right now that's what the archdiocese says they're they're planning on but it's august 6th and she goes back to school the first week of september she may or may not be in person we things might get worse in the next few weeks and that that plan might change and not for lack of trying on anyone's part, but you just kind of have to, we, I just, you get used to the idea of just dealing with the thing that's immediately in front of you. I mean, I've, I like meditate now, which is a super weird thing. Uh, not, it's not, it is not weird, but like the idea, if you had told me five years ago that I would be someone who did that, um, I would have thought you were nuts, but, the, the idea that you kind of just be as present as possible, and you don't get too worried about what happened in the past and what happened in the future, is a very helpful skill to have uh, found a way to utilize in these times, and I'm grateful for it. But that's it, it. Also, does you know when somebody says, "Oh, you know what? What do you think is going to happen when she goes back to school in a month?" It's like I truly I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're how is she dealing with the the friends or the lack thereof or, or, or their setup pods or their play dates? How, how does that work?
1: So very early on, we had her start using the uh, Facebook messenger for kids, which I was like deeply opposed to for about 20 minutes uh, <laughs> because I was like this is no, we cannot have Facebook's tendrils deeper into Mm -hmm. our lives. But then I was like, wait a minute though, this is a really easy way for her to keep in touch with her friends and they can video chat and they can text little funny pictures and I can monitor it. Like I can literally see all of it on my phone. Um, I, I, that's was really helpful really early on. And it, it gave a little bit of a sense of closeness. It has been hard for her. She's an only child and she's always sort of complained that she didn't have Uh, a sister or brother Mm -hmm. and so that intensified a bit but we've made do with a lot of video chats and FaceTime stuff uh, until about a month ago and when we started to kind of very uh, slowly expand the number of people that she would have regular contact with so she has a very close best friend who is you know practically a member of the family and has been in the before times and so having her sort of in our expanded bubble or pod mm-hmm. or whatever you call it uh, was pretty normal. And then she's had a couple of other friends that she's had, you know, socially distanced play dates with um, and usually outside. So I think it's been applying whatever the most advanced scientific knowledge is that we have and just applying that to her lives. But yeah. I mean, we're not hanging out with groups of people. I have yet to go back to an outdoor restaurant or bar, even though I miss like bars in particular terribly. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's two in our neighborhood that act as, as real community hubs. Um, They are uh, not coincidentally both um, small brew pubs and they have a real connection to arts and community events in our neighborhood. And they have both uh they've one created a patio in their parking lot one has a rooftop bar uh and i just like i've gotten real close to wanting to go back but Mm -hmm. uh just haven't quite haven't quite made it there yet um so i mean we've been pretty cautious overall it's it's been uh by person by person more than anything else
0: i'm in washington dc you're in chicago illinois in my little neighborhood in chicago could you hear my kid screaming i don't know if you can he's above me Uh,
1: I, I can definitely, I recognize that sound.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Uh, <laughs> it's not a sound effect. So we're, I mean, technically everything is a sound effect. That's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm in a neighborhood that's very isolated, I guess. I mean, it's the middle of the mm-hmm. city. Uh, it's super easy to get around, but like, I don't know. There's no like parties here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it, where you are in Beverly, it's super family oriented and mm-hmm. whenever I think of Beverly, I think of like a bunch of people getting together in a family way. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm wondering, are you are the outlier because you're not going to the brew pub or is it very common? What I'm kind of asking is how is Beverly specifically dealing with COVID-19?
1: We have had recently an uptick in our numbers and it's been something that the Alderman has drawn attention to and uh, the other community organizations have drawn attention to as well. And I think it's, there's something to that. Um, I think there's also, you know, we have, and Beverly is interesting. So Beverly is bordered by Mount Greenwood and Morgan Park and Morgan Park is a, uh, we have only a slice of Morgan Park in the, in the 19th ward where we're at, but Morgan Park is uh, predominantly, black. Um, Mount Greenwood is is predominantly white. It's about 90% white. Uh, Morgan Park, I I think, is more like 60-30 black uh, to white. And Beverly has more of a a mix as well. Uh, Beverly's, I think, about 60% white and 30% black. And then there's some uh, Latino and Asian in there. And there is a real marked difference in the way that communities of color are experiencing COVID-19 and how black communities are experiencing it for a number of systemic reasons Mm -hmm. uh, and a number of reasons in which racism plays a part. Um, But then there's also, I think a segment of uh, our neighborhoods that are definitely skeptics when it comes to the way in which our governments have been responding to, Covid nineteen, and so all of those factors I think play into why our numbers go up. I think there is something to the idea of there are very close familial and friendly ties here. Yeah, and but I don't know that it's more so than other places. I mean, I think the funny thing about Beverly and Morgan Park is that these are they're actually fairly car driven communities. Mm -hmm. It's not. Some areas are a little more walkable than others, and the idea that you would not have close connections with folks, particularly in the summer, um, has been, I think, difficult for folks. But we've had a couple yeah. of restaurants and a couple of bars here that have had to, after reopening, have had to close temporarily because an employee has tested positive for COVID. Uh, there's a pool nearby that reopened and then had to close temporarily. I don't know that we are, other than just in terms of the sheer numbers, I don't know that culturally. We're experiencing something that isn't being experienced by other areas of the city. But I also think that there are are a lot of public sector employees, um, whether you're a teacher, whether you are a city or a county employee. We've got a lot of those, a lot of police and fire as well, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of social workers. So those are the kinds of jobs that put you in touch with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And I think that plays into it as well.
0: Speaking of a lot of different people, you run a show and um, and I run a show and, and I've very much missed doing my show live, but, but I have no desire to do it via Zoom or anything like that. Not because I'm opposed to it; just, it doesn't work that way. My my thing needs to be in front of people that are drinking or like this. And I'm so happy to do this, but I'm not happy to do the the Zoom thing. You are okay to do the Zoom thing. You've recently run a French room via. I'm assuming it was Zoom.
1: It was Zoom. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. It's weird.
0: It's super weird. Are you glad you did it?
1: I am. I am glad I did it, but it's a different thing. So, we would do shows that had about anywhere from like 150 to 180 people in the audience. We would do it in an auditorium. We would keep the lights up. We would have storytellers. They would read a story, but you definitely got that like audience energy, that audience interaction. I've seen, Mm -hmm. I've been at your live shows. I've participated in your live shows and yours. I I think even more so have that like energy that, that interplay between the folks that are, you know, on the stage and and in, you know, between them and the audience. Ours is a little bit more performance based, but it's still like you get that like juice from the audience. And I will have, you know, banter with people in the audience and stuff like that. So I I really love that. And I really enjoy that. It's sort of the main reason why I do it. And in addition to just being able to feature voices and stories that I think wouldn't otherwise get told. And so I decided Really early on, I was like, all right, well, we're not going to do this live anymore. We can't be in a big group of people. I'm just not going to do this for a while. And then it just kind of went on and went on. And finally, I was like, you know, I think I can do this thing in a way that's a little bit different, but still keeps kind of the spirit of it. And so we had never repeated a storyteller. And Mm. I was always really happy with that. And I because I just was like, there's a lot of South Side stories you can tell at the front row. And I don't ever want to be like and there's a lot of other folks that do have repeat folks. I go to those and I love those, but I was just like, I want to see how long we can go before we repeat. Then I was like, you know, I don't want to like have somebody new that's never told a story before and have to do it on Zoom. So I ended up inviting back previous readers, previous storytellers as these like reunion shows. And so we would get like a different mix of past readers. They were smaller shows. We get about 40 to 50 people rather than like 150, which is Really, at first I was like, oh, this is a bummer. There's not as many people but I was like, oh, this is actually fine. Because what it ended up doing was taking that like personal interplay and then shrinking it down. So it was a lot. It felt I had a lot of feel of like being at like a backyard party. Sure. You know, so sure. people would like talk to each other in between the segments or prior to the beginning of the show people would talk to each other. So it wasn't even just like the storyteller talking to people who are in the Zoom because we would mute them during the performance. But like people would be kind of like, oh, so-and-so, it's good to see you. Or, oh, blah, blah, blah. Or they would do that in the chat. And so it did allow people to have a thing where they were like experiencing social connection. You know, we talk about like social distancing and I really feel like we Should be calling it physical distancing because Mm -hmm. social connection is really, really important right now. And so giving something akin to that piece of social connection back to this community is something I'm really glad we've done. we are have our fourth show next week on a Thursday, so a week from today. And that's the number that we would planned. And I think we're just going to kind of let it sit for a while. And I don't know what it's going to evolve into, but. I am glad I did it, even though it's become a very different thing. I think I tried to sort of have the same approach at first. Mm -hmm. And then I just realized like, oh, this, you kind of can't, it's not possible to like replicate that stage feel with an audience. You just really kind of, it is kind of just like a a meeting, but a much more enjoyable meeting with cocktails uh, Mm -hmm. and people are just telling stories. Um, So that's what it ended up. And I'm, yeah, I'm really glad we did it.
0: And I'm glad it exists. And <laughs> I just hate meetings. I don't want to yeah. be... <laughs> I'll talk to a microphone alone draining. for 12 hours. That's not difficult. Yeah. But, but doing a meeting, I'm good. I don't want to do that. I can't. Also, I feel bad because I'm... I mean, you you remember what it's like when when you're with someone, when you're with a one-year-old, Like your time is not as free as it once was. So you right. have very small windows and like i want to get the most out of those windows as possible and now that's not saying you can't get a lot from a meeting type of atmosphere i don't think that at all but going out and doing the thing and i'm sure you're probably itching to get back into like society with people mm-hmm. you're gonna have it's gonna probably feel a hell of a lot better than it ever has felt before i'm assuming i'm assuming
1: i think so i mean it's it's like when you, I mean, you, again, you know this. Like you're up there, you're on the stage. The thing ends, and you're like, you. If it's a good show, or even if it's just an okay show, you are like kind of up. The the you're tired, but you're like wired. You know, like oh, yeah. like when like you would get off like a you know a long work shift if you were worked late, you'd be still kind of wired afterwards because you were mm-hmm. kind of on. Same thing with a show. Now when I'm done with these things, I feel sort of more drained than mm. than usual and yeah. i think that's because of the uh the eye contact is so much more intense you know if you're in a show you can kind of be looking around the room you might make eye contact a little bit with a couple people but you're playing to a broader audience where you have like 40 or 50 individual people that you're making eye contact to all at one time and that's like a mental drain and it's it's still fun and it's still, I still can, I still like doing it, but it is yeah. a way different mental experience when you're through. And that I think is, is something that it's, it takes a lot to kind of frame the, whatever kind of show or, uh, you know, thing is, and, and put that into that different context. It's, it's pretty tough.
0: Yeah, I never thought about the eye contact issue <laughs> or the lack thereof, but the focus it's so different. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah and,
1: and also you're in your house, like you're not at a bar. You're not like no. you're so you're yeah. like, OK, I'm literally inviting these people into my home in a way, like in a little square part of my home. Uh, so that's intense, too.
0: Yeah. yeah you can kind weird. of play but the I, role
1: of like host when uh-huh. you're at the bar or you're at the performance space. But now it's really you. It's like it's Brandon, yeah. you know, like you're. You're not just like the host of you know you me them everybody. Mm -hmm. You're Brandon. You're literally in Brandon's house and you're doing the show, and that's like that intensity of focus. I think is what makes it draining.
0: That's interesting. Like the fact that I've never said my wife's name on the show once or my kid's name on the show once, and I want to keep it that way. Like you're not coming Mm -hmm. inside. You personally, you Scott, you're more than welcome to come over. But like, oh, that's nice. Thanks. And 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 that's the, the the beauty of doing the show is you get to present. Uh, whatever you want to present. If you want to be 100% real, great, do that. If you want to play a character, great, do that. But there's no revelation of self unless you want it to be there. Now, for for the majority of what I do, I want it to be there, and I want to actually form friendships from the show. And that's really all of my friends in the last decade have come from the show and one or the other. So I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing that. But the idea of doing something like a Zoom show to me from what I specifically do, it does not make any sense. I don't. I can't wrap my mind around why. It's a. There's a.
1: There is, regardless of how personal I think a show is, and how much of your personal self is is informs it. There's still a bit of persona to it, and I I definitely feel oh, that sure. with the front. I mean, there is like a there is a role I'm playing the host, right? Like I grew up on game mm-hmm. shows. Like there is like I, I loved, you know, I still love looking watching like old nineteen seventies talk shows like Johnny Carson era, you know, early eighties Letterman and, and mid eighties Letterman and, and and just like they were they were it was a it was a lot of their personalities, but it was a real it was a segmented off version of their personalities. And these were people who were sort of legendarily private outside mm-hmm. of the show. And so you don't have that when you're doing this Zoom thing. It's your personal, maybe it's a work laptop, but more often than not, it's a personal laptop. You're in your personal space. It's personal you. I started doing, when I was doing Front Room, I would usually dress up. I'd have a jacket on and I would, mm-hmm. you know, again, I want to have that kind of like uh, old timey host feel to it. But like the this last show, I put on like a Hawaiian shirt and like sunglasses, the one before that, I put a tux on. Like I just like wanted some other like kind of piece of like armor mm-hmm. to like have be like oh, I'm host guy here. Yeah. I'm not Scott in his like sort of uh, quasi office space in his house. Like this is me hosting the front room. Yeah. This isn't like me at my house. I wanted like a little bit of separation. But there's, it's still really hard to kind of get that.
0: Yeah. Uh, you have a, a real job. I have a real boy. Uh, I'm not saying that your daughter isn't real. I'm just saying we have. It's, true. it's true. She is real. That there's a time limit on everything. Uh, I ask this to almost everyone, and it's a, and I'm interested in this. Are you glad you're dealing with the coronavirus well in your current location? Are you glad you're in Beverly and not anywhere else in the country or the mm-hmm. world?
1: Hmm, that's interesting. That's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I am definitely glad I'm in Illinois. I think our glad. state and our state government has been doing a really great job in its communication, which is really, really hard. Uh, as somebody who works communication for government office, it's a really hard gig. Um, it's not breaking rocks, and it's not digging ditches, and it's not um, like honestly, it's a lot easier than being a grocery store clerk where you have to deal with all kinds of people right now. And boy, oh boy, I really hope we come out of this with a deeper appreciation of what it means to be a frontline worker, particularly people who work in food service, particularly people who work in caregiving jobs. Um, I'm really glad that I work in a state and a neighborhood actually that really thinks about the people that serve them in some way and help them in some way, because I think there is a lot deeper in Chicago and its neighborhoods. I think there's a deeper understanding of what it means to be in, uh, be in a place where you're encountering the same person regularly at your grocery store, at your drugstore. Um, you're likely to know them. They're likely to come from the community. So I think in that way, I'm really glad that I live where I do because i think there's a deeper understanding of what it means to be a worker like that sort of heart of labor that chicago has always had i think means that there is a deeper more emotional understanding of what it what a what a first responder during covid times means it's not just police fire and and medical and social workers it's really the people who are keeping you fed and healthy and I think Chicago, more often than not, has a really good sense of what that means and how that is a service to people. So in that sense, I think I am really glad. Yeah. Yeah.